You may have heard of us, but you might not know Bank First is a community bank that has no fee ATM access, interest and perks earning checking accounts. With online and mobile banking, mortgages for every stage of life, and modern business banking for businesses, small and big. We keep it all together to put you first. Do you bank with us? You should. Bank First is an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. Welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Starkville. Starkville, Mississippi's college town. Always something going on in Starkville. Got a big weekend coming up. LSU coming in Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so, Charlie, a lot of great restaurants, a lot of great shopping. Should be a fun time this weekend here on Main Street and around Starkville, Mississippi's college town. Boy, it's going to be a lot of people. You want to go to the Starville Cafe, get there early. You want to take in brunch, don't sleep in. Get around town because, look, there's some great places to go, but you're going to need to get there. Yeah, you are. Yeah, it's going to be hopping this weekend. The weather is going to be pretty good. Of course, LSU playing this weekend against State, and that's always a big series. And so if you're ever coming to Startwell and you're trying to plan out your trip, go to startwell.org, startwell.org, and always so many great things going on here in Startwell. It's kind of like a football game weekend this weekend. Do a little shopping on Saturday, go to the ball game, do a little shopping on Sunday. Yeah, Startwell Cafe will be eaten alive. When we come in here on Sunday morning to take uh, Sunday coffee, they'll be across the road stacked up over there. Yeah, Mike, it open the windows, have a little bit of an audience, huh? Probably not good for anybody involved, depending on how those first couple of games go. You need like a Dutch door where you have like the top door you can open up, and we could sell cinnamon rolls to the – the folks that are waiting to get in. <laughs> waiting to get in. Yeah. All right. So, looking back at last night, State winning 13-2 to over UT Martin. We knew when we got to the ballpark yesterday, the wind blowing out to center field, that we were going to see some home runs. We hit six. UT Martin hit two. So, we had one of those nights where you just knew you are going to see some fireworks. I thought there was an interesting sequence in the game yesterday. We can talk about all the Mississippi State run home runs that you got to call yesterday. There was also one, though, for UT Martin. Did you see this on the, the tweet? I think it was Theo DeRosa had put out that Brandon Smith had struck out Jack Kolomovic, whose sister Katie plays volleyball at Mississippi State. And she was able to quote, tweet him later, that he actually hit a home run in the game. So Jack Kolomovic, his sister on Mississippi State's volleyball team, hit a home run yesterday. Sure did. They hit back-to-back home runs early in the game, got it to a 6-2 to two game. Now, we jumped out early. Had three in the first, three in the second, four in the third. Luke Hancock had a couple home runs in the game yesterday. And just, man, we we really we swung it well. Hunter Hines had a home run. Kellum Clark, Brad Cumbus, Tanner Leggett, six home runs in the game. We pound out 13 runs on 14 hits and jump out to an early, game, uh, early lead in that game. I thought if there is a story other than the home runs, it was the way we pitched it. Brandon Smith, he's been steady out there. Four innings of work, and sometimes he does get hit. I mean, he got a hit, you know, five hits in four innings last night. Two runs on five hits, but seven strikeouts and no walks. And now on the season, Brandon Smith has struck out 29 batters and walked just two. He has been a strike 
thrower. And if you listen to Sunday Coffee, if you listen to our Monday show, you would know that's a hot-button topic for me right now is throwing strikes. Mikey Tepper came on in relief, pitched two innings. He struck out four, walked just one. And then Casey Hunt pitched the final inning, and Casey beginning to slowly work his way back. He threw 11 pitches in the game last night. And so for all intents and purposes, did what you had to do against a low RPI team. Yeah, and only got six turns to swing the bat, which I think was – a little bit of a surprise to all of us. Yeah, it was somewhat of a surprise because I had um, our good friend Robbie Falk. Robbie asked, and this is not uh, anyone to do with media relations problem, I don't think, because they were told, no, we're not. We're going to play nine innings. And it may have been decided like right then. And uh, anyway, I've made the statement on the air. Hey, we're only going to play. We're going to play nine innings tonight, no 10-run rule. And then we're coming right back. And it's like, all right, everybody, hey, had a good mm-hmm. night. Had a lot of fun. So anyway. You just laugh about it. That's all all you can do. Um, All right, Charlie, we're in the Farm Bureau studios. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Farm Bureau agents all across the state of Mississippi, and you just can't beat the customer service at Farm Bureau. Favorites.com. Check them out for all your rates on home, life, auto, whatever you need. Farm Bureau. So when we come back, we're going to talk to a couple guys this week who – were very, very good during their times at Mississippi State. We'll talk to Tracy Jobes, who pitched at Mississippi State from 1987 to 1990, was on that College World Series team in 1990. And then we'll talk to Brad Freeman later in the show, Bulldog shortstop in the mid to late 1990s. And, of course, went to back-to-back College World Series in 1997 and 1998. He's now a back judge official in the NFL. So a great day for you. A couple guys, Charlie, that did it different ways. One pitcher, one hitter, shortstop, but two of the all-time greats at Mississippi State. No, absolutely. Tracy Jobs, you think of as being a talented guy. A lot of times when you say, man, that guy's a real competitor, you're almost kind of underselling their talent. No, Tracy Jobs was talented, but he was competitive as well. And Then Brad Freeman, one of those guys – Go back to that class. It was just fun to watch that group grow up. It was fun to see them develop. They struggled early a little bit, but then got better and better and better. And then he goes to two College World Series to round out his career. So when we come back, we'll talk to Tracy Jones, a pitcher from Mississippi State in the late 1980s and 1990. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Starville. Time now for a guest line segment brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can possibly find. And it's produced right here in Mississippi, over in the Mississippi Delta in Itabina. Straight from the ponds to the processing and then to your plate, you can buy it at a lot of local great grocery stores, but also at great restaurants throughout the South. And one of the great restaurant groups that they serve is Southern Hands Homestyle Cooking in the Memphis area. They have four locations on Winchester Road in Memphis, on Hacks Cross Road in Olive Branch, on Austin P in Memphis, then on the Kirby Parkway as well. So four locations in the Memphis area. And you can get that great hand-battered fried catfish at Southern Hands. It doesn't get any better than that. Great homestyle cooking at Southern Hands. And once again, that great catfish that they get from our good friends 
at Heartland Catfish. And this conversation with former Bulldog Tracy Jobs, brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish and Southern Hands Homestyle Cooking. And so let's talk to former Bulldog Tracy Jobs, played at Mississippi State, 1987 to 1990. And Tracy, hey, I ask everybody all the time about how you end up at Mississippi State and just kind of looking back at, at you, how did you end up in Startwell playing for Coach Ron Polk? You know, I think uh, it was kind of an accident, which was good for me. But, um, you know, I was being recruited out of high school, had taken some visits and whatnot. And we ended up opening my senior season up playing at Corinth against uh, Scott Mitchell. And uh, there were a couple other guys, I think, that played college ball on that team. But, uh, you know, just a, a, I think we played two or three games or something like that with Corinth High School. And, you know, I ended up going like nine for 13 at the plate with three home runs and threw a one hitter. So the next thing I know, you know, Coach Shoup, you know, who at that time was at State, you know, I get a letter from him and get a call from him and take a visit and, so that's, that's kind of how it happened. You know, in your career, obviously, one of the big highlights that we all think about is that magical run to the World Series in 1990. But one of my favorite memories is 1987, going over to the SEC tournament at the University of Georgia, that big come-from-behind win. I believe that I'm right. You know, we think about the Jody Hurst home run and the, the Barry Winford single. I believe that I'm right. You were the winning pitcher in that game, weren't you? I think uh, I think I pitched the Georgia game when we played Georgia. Um, it was kind of funny. I remember that because right be- right before we were about to head down there on the bus, uh, my one of my grandfathers passed away. So I'm shuffled up. I fly up to Minneapolis for the funeral and catch a plane. I think, and I get there right when we're warming up for like the first game. I think I started. I may have started the game or came in relief. I can't really remember, but I pitched. I pitched in the Georgia game and pitched, I think, about five or six innings in that game. And I may have got the win. I, I can't remember that. But I do remember that. I do remember the, you know, being down there and all that and, and the run that we had basically to get there. You know, we were, we were a lot of freshmen and sophomores on that team. And, you know, we just got hot at the right time and just kind of carried over into that tournament. And, that and of course, you know, that was the – it may have been the last year that the tournament – champion was the actual SEC champion you know and then they switched it over to the regular season champion so you know so we kind of I'm pretty sure we were probably what how many teams I don't remember how many teams they led in the tournament maybe 10 we were probably like number seven I would think like that so you know come in as the number seven and end up getting a ring it's pretty nice. Bart and I were having the discussion here not too long ago about kind of most underrated Mississippi State players and we talk about guys from different eras. One of the guys I thought about from that exact team, though, was Dan Paradoa. You know, Paradoa was here in 86 and 87. What kind of player – you know, his numbers were just really good. What what kind of player was Dan Paradoa? Boy, Dan, he – I mean, he could flat out hit, you know. He was a good outfielder, but, but he could hit. I, I would say uh, – I mean, he probably hit over – what did he hit that year? I don't know, probably about 340, 350 probably. But, you know, he was one of those guys who could hit it to all fields, um, get on base when you need him, drive in runs, um, and then just play, you know, solid, solid defense. And then, you know, he came in and kind of jumped right into the upperclassman role, you know, on that young team. But, uh, yeah, Dan could definitely hit. And um, it's funny you mentioned Dan because 
we have, uh, I think you guys probably know this, we have the little group me of former players from uh, 86 to 90, and probably about 30, 35 guys, and Dan actually, somebody found Dan, and he just got on it last week, so so it's good to uh, good to see his name again. But yeah, Dan, he was just a guy that could hit, and kind of a guy that uh, once he gets going, kind of everybody, it's a little, you know, the hitting is contagious kind of thing. When Dan starts hitting, usually everybody kind of follows. Looking back in the late 1980s and seeing the style of pitching, and, and we talked to Bobby Reed a little bit about it, you know, on the air. Bobby came in a couple couple years ago and was on the broadcast with us for an inning or so, and and how pitchers complement each other. And you know, looking back at your time at Mississippi State, how would you classify yourself? And I know you you follow Mississippi State baseball right now very closely. How would you classify yourself as a pitcher in the late 1980s? Oh my gosh! Um, you know, first first my first two years, I started in the bullpen and ended up starting kind of midway in freshman and sophomore season, and then you know started the last uh, started junior and senior year just just starting. Um, you know, I wasn't the guy with the the, the mid 90 fastball. You know, I was, I was the guy that. Uh, you know, I could locate my pitches. I had a, I had a decent slider. I had a good pickoff move. I could hold runners. Um, you know, but with that being said, you know, I had to hit my spots. You know, I had to, you know, I wasn't going to get away with just a fastball and maybe just a curve or whatever, two pitches. So, you know, I had five pitches I could throw and whatever's working that day, you're getting it. Kind of the, kind of the blue collar guy, I guess, is what I would be. I wasn't the guy that uh, got a lot of accolades, but, you know, I was coming out there on my starts, and, you know, I was going to give you my best effort so we could get a W. It was all about getting a win, so. When you look at pitching today, because I know you follow college baseball closely, you know, one of the things Bart and I talk about, I always thought you did a good job of, of like you just said, hitting your spots, not giving up a lot of free bases. It's got to drive you a little bit crazy, though, the kind of way we've gotten out of pitching to soft contact to guys becoming kind of stri- strikeout or walk guys. Yeah, you know, it, the crazy thing is is how hard these guys are throwing. I mean, we didn't – I mean, gosh, you know, you had – maybe back then you had a couple guys that could that were, you know, 93 and above. You know, LSU had a, a couple of years there where they probably had about three or four. But, you know, it's uh, – I don't know. Just, just from watching it now, it seems like there's a lot of guys that are just two-pitch guys. You just you see a fastball curve. You know, you may not even see a changeup, but uh, – so, but then again, you know, it just seems also that they're not just basically they're throwers. You know, a lot of guys just seem to be throwers, just just coming up there to to hump it up to whatever they can get it to. But you know, as you know, even in the SEC or, or other leagues, it's not going to matter how hard you throw. If you don't hit your spot, you're going to get hit. You know, 95, 96, 97 down the middle of the plate is going to get hit by most of the guys on the team. So. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of different in that sense. Maybe maybe a little bit more pitching back then rather than throwing. But uh, you know, I would have liked to have been able to throw ninety five though. I'll give it a shot. If I could throw ninety five, you couldn't tell me anything. I can tell you that right now. If you look out there and say that's that's green, I would say no, that's purple. You couldn't tell me anything if I could dunk or throw ninety five. I can tell you that for sure. If I threw a ninety five right now, you might as well go pick up my pick up my arm halfway to the plate because it's falling off. <laughs> All right, so you guys make to the, make the College World Series in 1990, and you pitched against Georgia Southern. 
correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think I'm right on saying this. And, of course, we had that big second inning against Georgia Southern. I think we scored like 11 runs in the second inning against Georgia Southern. But I think in that game, you struck out the side in the College World Series at Rosenblatt on nine pitches. I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw – I remember that, that you struck out the entire side, maybe the third, fourth, fifth inning, somewhere in there, on just nine pitches. And I'm sitting there going, you know, I think that's the first time I've ever seen that. There are all kinds of crazy things that happened in that game. And that was actually the top of the first inning. So we scored 11, 12 runs, whatever it was, before I even step on the mound. You know, I remember that uh, uh, kind of halfway through it, I, I went over to the side and threw a little bit more. So, you know, you got an 11-run lead, but then you're also feeling the pressure of, oh, my gosh, if I blow this lead, I'm horrible. Oh, my God, you know. So, but – the other thing about that game, the wind was blowing in like 30 miles an hour. So they probably hit about two or three balls that would have been out on a normal day. So it's just like, I'm just going to lay it in there and just keep throwing strikes. It doesn't really matter how hard they're hitting. It's not going anywhere. So, but yes, I do believe there was one nine pitch inning. And then also, and it was done, this was also done by another guy in the series on maybe Georgia's team in the same series where you strike out four batters in one inning. So some crazy things in, in that game. So, But we got the win, so that's all that mattered. Good to stay another day. Hey, you talked about kind of having that text group. I always thought that those teams, 86 through 90, kind of remained exceptionally close. Uh, how much do you guys keep up with the team now? Uh, you know, we do. Um, a lot of guys do go back to some games. Um, you know, some of the guys that, kind of live uh, further out than me. I'm in Memphis, further out than me. You know, it's kind of tougher to get back to those guys. But, um, you know, with that group text, I mean, guys are everywhere, and and usually almost everybody says something weekly. You know, we're always kind of chatting football, baseball during the season, during games. But, uh, yeah, you know, and that's, that's – I guess that's kind of the way we were. You know, we were all we were all crammed into MacArthur dorm, you know, for the, for the most part until our – senior years you know to where we were able to live outside of uh outside of the dorm but so you know we were a real real close-knit group from there from 86 to 90 and uh you know it's, it's always good to, when somebody has somebody like i said dan Perdo was added uh you know nelson was added a uh, pretty good while back and uh some of those guys that you don't see at the alumni a lot of people don't come to the alumni um and there's not too many functions you know that uh that can get us back together. So just having that is great. And, you know, if we ever could get a reunion or something like that, I mean, that would, that would be really good to see all, see all those guys. Yeah. If you do, I just want to be able to roll some tape on that. I'm going to have to do a lot of editing though. If we had uh, recorders rolling there. Yeah. (laughs) I know they used to give an incredibly hard time to guys like Roger Smith, who was one of the managers for the team. He, he had he needed protective gear just going in the locker room. I think. <laughs> I think Rogers got Rogers got some ragging on, and I would probably say ninety five percent of it was Tracy Eccles. I mean, he was all over Rogers all the time, and I mean, he said some stuff that was so funny. A lot of stuff that probably can't be said on radio, obviously. But I mean, he just turned you into a gut laugh just watching him rag Rogers. But yeah, Rogers probably got the most out of anybody on the whole on the in the whole program <laughs> tracy hey great to talk with you it's always good to uh to catch up with you 
And I know that you follow Mississippi State real close. We appreciate you. Hey, also, if I'm ever on again, I'm going to get the, our group list, and I'm going to give a shout-out to all those guys with their nicknames on it. We, so can, we can definitely, be, Yeah, we can definitely do that. Oh, yeah. That'll be something to look forward to. So Back in the day, everybody, <laughs> but, uh, everybody had a nickname in the old days. Now everybody's got a walk-up song. And I was thinking about it, and I think probably most of them I can say on on, uh, on the air, but, uh, um, you know, I can leave out the ones that, that can't be said. That's right. Hey, appreciate <laughs> you. Good to talk to you. All right. Take care. Thanks a lot. And that's former Bulldog Tracy Jobs living up in the Memphis area right now. Charlie, looking back, and we talked so much about Bobby Reed during that time frame and about how – and I was kind of talking about how pitchers complement each other and he was a very complimentary pitcher of Bobby Reed back in that time. And Tracy Jobs, like you just said, he just used a bunch of different pitches. The thing that I will always remember about Tracy Jobs, though, is you talk about guys that play with an edge, guys that are high-level competitors. That was Tracy Jobs. I mean, you know, he kind of had that bulldog mentality on the mound. And he was a guy, as he said, was a reliever early, became a starter. But the, the one thing you always knew about Tracy Jobs is he was going to take that intensity to the mound with him. The other thing I remember, I remember Tracy Jobs telling me this one time. So I'm like 15 years old and standing there, and we were talking about what's the starting lineup going to be. And he said, I don't know, but the bench is going to be heavy. And the idea there's a whole bunch of talent on the bench. And that's how it was in the late 80s. There was a lot of talent here. Sure was. A lot of talent here. And that conversation with Tracy Jobs brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, talking about Memphis area. Heartland producing that finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can find. And you can find it at all the Southern Hands locations in Memphis. All four locations in the Memphis area. One in Olive Branch and the other three in the Memphis area at Southern Hands Homestyle Cooking. Charlie and I will come back. We'll talk to former Bulldog Brad Freeman on the other side of the break. This is Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. A good conversation there with Tracy Jobs. And it's time now for another conversation. This time brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing. Go to countrypleasing.com if you want to order anything online, Shirts, hats, that great sausage. They do it right at Country Pleasing. Just a growing brand going throughout the southeast right now, up into the Midwest. And Henry Cooper and the guys down at Country Meat Packers, man, they do it absolutely right. You've got the big butcher shop that they're expanding on Highway 49. But Country Pleasing Sausage. Charlie and I talk all the time about our favorites. I like the original, the jalapeno cheddar. Charlie's a big jalapeno cheddar guy. The three cheese, just so many. The black chip pepper cheddar, it's all great stuff at Country Pleasing Sausage. And this conversation with former Bulldog Brad Freeman, brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing. And so let's talk to former Bulldog Brad Freeman, played at Mississippi State 1995 to 1998, went to a couple College World Series. And Brad, how you doing, man? I'm great. I'm great. How you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great, doing great. And so, hey, I ask this question all the time when we have interviews about how guys ended up at Mississippi State and, of course, with your dad playing at State. We kind of know the story, but was it a tough childhood for you growing up in Oxford, being a Mississippi State guy? Oh, absolutely. 
you know, Oxford is a is a great town, great place to live and raise a family. However, they're not necessarily bulldog friendly, which, you know, I can get it. I respect that. Obviously, last year, you know, it was a lot of fun in June, rolling back in town, winning the national championships. They didn't say too much to me. Yeah, but it was, um, it definitely had its challenges, but it, I think it was all in good fun, though. Brad, you played in one of my favorite eras of Mississippi State baseball to talk about, ending there in 97, then again in 98, finishing up with World Series. I want to think back, though, to your freshman year. One of the things I remember about you is you came in in 95, highly recruited, obviously. You come in, and it seemed like struggle for a while, but like got better and better and better every single game you played. And by the end of the year, you were a better hitter in SEC play than you were overall. So it seemed like you were kind of developing at the right time. What was the key to you? You know, I think back we've got like a Hunter Hines right now as a freshman. You watch him try to develop. What was kind of the key to you to becoming a top-level SEC hitter and really in developing in your freshman year? Yeah, um, what I remember about my freshman year is that, you know, we came, we all came in, number one, recruiting class. And I think a lot of us thought, oh, this will just kind of pick up where we left off in high school. You know, this will be easy. Well, you know, when you're running out there and you're, you're facing these SEC arms, it's just such an adjustment because you don't normally, you don't see that in high school. So there is an adjustment period. And I think the key to, to, to getting better is just, is just seeing it. Every weekend, you just figure it out a little more, and then all of a sudden, it just is what it is. You know, as you mentioned, a kid like Hunter Hines, he'll, he'll figure it out real quick. I mean, he already has to a large degree. I mean, the kid's, uh, I don't know, he's hitting nine home runs. That's, uh, I don't think I had nine home runs to midway of my junior year. He's very talented. So the key to, to hitting SEC pitching is really just seeing it. And then realizing, okay, this is this is what it is. And then if you're a good hitter, you're going to adjust to it. That's just how it's going to be. So, what was the biggest adjustment for you? Was it velocity? Was it detecting spin? Was it strike zone discipline, or kind of all the above? Yeah, it's all the above. I mean, you don't. I, I can remember facing Tim Hudson, and I think he was a year older than me, maybe my sophomore year. And you just you don't get used to a guy like that, you know, mind you. But it's just seeing it you know, week in, week out and, and adjusting to it. You know, kind of the longer you're you're doing it just it's not easier it becomes, but it just becomes more normal. And this is this is what it's gonna be. So here we go. Talked about growing up a Mississippi State guy and then all of a sudden you get to college. Ninety six we go to a regional, go out to Stanford and then ninety seven. Charlie and I actually talked to Chris Magruder last year with the University of Washington who came in here and was that one of the big moments that you sit there and said, hey, this is kind of what I grew up wanting to do right here? You're seeing this packed crowd in 1997. Was that kind of when it began to hit you a little bit that, my goodness, this is the big time Mississippi State? Yeah, you know, um, I think my freshman year, we didn't go to a regional. And then in 96, we went out to Stanford. And so we had all seen it growing up. A lot of us that, had, that were starting were, were Mississippi kids. And so – you know, we all seen it growing up, and that's what we wanted to do. And I think game one in 97, we beat Ohio State with Eric Dubose on the hill. And then Washington beat us in game two. And whenever you say Magruder, I just get, like, nightmares. Because the kids, I don't think we got him out once. Maybe once. But just an amazing player. And then we had a rain out in there. 
which was like the biggest godsend ever because that got Eric back on that Monday to pitch against Washington. But I can remember, I think Eric pitched the whole game. Coach Polk was like 160 pitches, whatever it takes. You're not coming out. But I can remember going up to Eric and the, uh, we had just taken the lead. Our catcher, Barry Patton, hit a single through the four hole. But we were just taking the lead, and I just looked at Eric. I was like, you've got to strike everyone out. We've got to win this. There's no other option. Because you could just sense the urgency of, uh, you know, the crowd and just just the players of getting back to Omaha. Because I believe we hadn't been back since 90. So, you know, there's this uh, there's just this hunger in the air and kind of equate it to when we were all at Omaha last year, you know, just like we have got to do this right now today. And so that's what, that's kind of what I remember about, about that series is just that we'd all grown up, we'd all seen it. And then we were finally in that moment and it was was the bottom of the night. We were the visiting team for that game, but it was the bottom of the night and just looking at Eric going, we got to do it. We got to do it right now. And of course, Magruder hits the leadoff solo shot, you know, so <laughs> in the bottom of the night. <laughs> we ended up, we ended up figuring it out. Great moment in my life. Went in the regional in 97 that day. You know, it's interesting. We talked to Chris Magruder about hitting that leadoff run. We talked to Eric DeBose too. And everybody kind of says it was almost the best thing that happened to us was because yeah. it keeps uh, Eric from having to work out of the stretch. It gets a clean start. It was almost better that he hit the home run, just got out of the way. Yeah, it was like the, that That solo shot was their biggest rally killer, which is kind of weird to think about. But that's kind of how you know how it was. So, yeah, it was almost like, okay, who cares? We were up 4-2 to two at the time, 4-3, to three, we'll figure it out. But we don't have to face Magruder anymore. I just remember thinking that. <laughs> you know, looking back at the next year, you go to the College World Series in 97. We beat UCLA. They had Troy Gloss at the time. And then 1998 rolls around. Coach Polk retires. Coach Mack takes over. And then we had a slow start in 1998. I think at one time you guys were 17-10, and 10, like early in the season. And we're facing kind of the same thing this year, of having the big run last year at the end and somewhat of a slow start this season. And it's all about when it begins to click and realizing you've got a new team. When did it begin to click for you guys in 1998 to kind of get that season turned around? Yeah, you know, we, we came back. And we had a lot of starters coming back. Um, you know, we lost Eric and some other pitchers in the draft, but we had a lot of starters coming back. And we kind of just thought, hey, we're just going to throw our hats out there and we'll win. Because, you know, in Mississippi State, we just went through the whole series and, that was not the case, as you referenced. We were seventeen and ten, and um, I, I can I can remember getting into the SEC tournament kind of barely, and we needed to win at least three games because I was still in the what was it the eight site of sixteen um, regional setting, and we beat South Carolina, then we beat LSU, I believe, and down in. Um, uh, Hoover, but we knew we needed to win three games, and we did. Like it, I don't think it really clicked for us till we got to Texas A and M, and we got. I mean, we just got hot, and that's what it. That's what it takes is just getting hot in the postseason. But that you know that Texas A and M regional, and we just played some really good baseball, and we got hot, and we made you know 
we made our run, got back to the College World Series. So, you know, I know the the boys are off to kind of a slow start, but it's uh, they're very much in this thing. And, and, you know, you get hot in May and June, that's what wins you championships right there. You know, it's funny how you look back and you talk about getting hot. I think in 97 of Eric DeBose getting hot on the mound, and then you had a great performance from Keith Dillgard and some other guys. I think about last year, you know, you had Will Bednar get hot at the end. You know, in 98, the guy that just jumps out at me at that regional at Texas A&M was Chris Reinecke. It was like we got to that final game and the guy just pitched his mind, you know, pitched out of his mind. Chris was a guy that was either going to strike everyone out or he was going to walk everybody. And <laughs> when – as I think Jeremy Jackson started that final game against Texas A&M, which was a – very hostile place to play. Um, and he gave up, Jeremy gave up a five spot pretty quick. It was like five to two. And I, I can remember getting in the dugout. We, we knew that Jeremy was done. And one of our bullpen coaches at the time, Matt Ishi, came down and he goes, Pretty, he goes, look, he goes, if y'all can just score four more, we're going to win this thing. He was like, no one's going to hit, no one's going to hit Chris today. It was one of those days that we knew, that he knew. Man, and he was right. I think Chris was was amazing that day, and he was a thank God he was hot at the right time because he he was just lights out. And I think he came in in the third inning. I don't know, third or fourth inning, but we ended up going on to win pretty handedly, eleven five maybe. If I remember right. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That's what it takes. It takes guys getting just incredibly hot at the right time, like last year with Bednar and. You know, the, and, and Sims, who was always, seems like, hot, you know, last year. So, that's what it takes. All right, let's transition now into to what you're doing now and working in the NFL. And, of course, with your dad yeah. playing in the NFL and then being a, an official in the NFL. And now you, you moved into, started out in high school, moved up through the college ranks, refereed in the SEC, and now in, in NFL football. You know, Charlie and I talk all the time about the speed of the game of – the college game versus the NFL game. When we talk about quarterbacks and how fast the game begins to become for those guys, I always said I thought for you guys I, to see the speed of the game from the SEC to the NFL, how different is it what we watch on Saturday compared to what you watch on Sunday? You know, the, in the SEC, I guess in general, you know, you're going to have you got 22 guys out on the field. You're going to have, I don't know, six really freak athletes out there when the NFL you got 22 guys who are amazing athletes every play and yeah they're they're so the, the speed that those six play at in SEC play everybody plays at that speed and it's kind of back what what I said earlier about when you're a freshman and man how do you hit SEC pitching well you just you just kind of get used to it you know everybody is that fast so that's just how the game is played is it's very fast, very, very physical. So that's kind of the the difference, really, is that just everybody is on kind of on that same level, that same speed level. Hey, I'm always curious, what is a week like for an official? We kind of have an idea of what a routine of a team is in terms of kind of game planning. Do do you game plan a little bit for the teams you're going to play and the type of routes they're going to be running, and it, to try to have an idea of what they're trying to do, so you know what to look for? Yeah, we, um, you know, officials take take their job very seriously. 
and uh, we we have access to to video, and you know we try to try to learn learn our two teams as, as as much as we can, you know, going in. But an average week is we'll leave. I generally leave Saturday morning to head to the Memphis airport, and then try to get to where I'm going, wherever it is, you know, before three o'clock, and um, we'll have a meeting. Whenever we all get in at the at the at the hotel we're staying at Saturday afternoon, we eat some dinner, go to bed, you get up, you work the game. After the game, there's a mad blitz to to get to the airport because generally we all have you know six o'clock flights if it's a one o'clock kick somewhere. And then I generally land back in Memphis around I don't know eleven 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 thirty on Saturday night, and I'm back in Oxford around one. You know, you get up Monday, you're kind of like, where am I? What just happened? Because it's, it's a fast and furious 36 hours. And then after the, you know, after the game, there's a lot of debriefing, a lot of, you know, going back and watching the film. And then we get every play of every angle of every Fox Super Zoom is, is graded and, and we're, you know, we're, we're critiqued. So a lot of film work, though, during the week, kind of putting that previous game to bed learning what you did good, learning what you did not so good, and then it's on to the next. It's kind of like, you know, teams in that regard. You debrief the film, and then you get ready for your next week's opponent. You know, there's no time to no time to look back. You got another one coming. Let's talk about real quick before we let you go, your regular, your day job. And when yeah. you talk to people across the state of Mississippi, they talked about the park system in Oxford. I've been here that I was hired by the, by the city in like 2007 uh, when our current site that we sit on, it's over a hundred acres. It was just a cotton field and, and wood. So I've been here since ever since day one. And we have, I think out of 52 weekends, we're at least doing something 40 to 45 of those weekends. And during the week, we facilitate all the Oxford park and rec games and, travel team practices and there's just always something going on out here and uh, it's been a it's been a blast to be a part of get to meet a lot of different and cool people and work with a lot of different people but we um last weekend we just got we had i think 160 teams at the park so we're recovering from that but getting ready for our next one which is this upcoming weekend so it's been a it's been a lot of fun to be a part of no rest at all. Hey, Brad, we appreciate it. It's always great to talk with you. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Maybe I'll run into y'all and start. Well, my, my son's one of the team baseball managers, so I'm always down there hanging out with him, and it's kind of, it's kind of neat to, to reconnect to the game in that regard with, you know, with him being, being one of the team managers. So hope to run into you guys. And that's former Bulldog Brad Freeman, native of Oxford, played at Mississippi State. From 1995 to 1998, Charlie, I didn't realize until we really got to looking at it, he was a fourth-round draft pick out of high school. And you start talking about that class coming in and playing early in their career here in start. Well, you talk about Barry Patton and Richard Lee and all these different guys. Well, Brad Freeman was kind of the glue in the middle of that infield. Oh, he certainly was. A lot of starts at second and then progressively more so at shortstop. That team always interests me, though, because you have that really talented group that comes in. So much is expected of them. and Struggle a little bit, then get better, get better. But then I think, man, there was so much pressure on those guys in 97. 
because you finally had to deliver. You know, it became enough where potential wasn't enough. Now you got to deliver on it. And it was good to see those guys had a lot of adversity getting there, but able to deliver. He's been in the NFL now for several years. He was in the SEC for nine years as a back judge. And, Charlie, I remember this. It was probably been ten years ago. We were playing Ole Miss in a Saturday game for the Egg Bowl. And the day before, Arkansas had played LSU in football, or a couple of days before that, Arkansas and LSU had played. And Brad was the back judge. And there was a play on the sideline where Arkansas ran about a 10-yard out. And Brad, he talked to us the next day and said he got out of position a little bit. And the receiver for Arkansas made the catch and made the spin and went up the sideline. And it was all over SportsCenter and all over Twitter at the time about the back judge, about the official running stride for stride with the Arkansas wide receiver running down the sideline. And I looked at it and I was like, that's Brad Freeman. The guy ran stride for stride with an Arkansas wide receiver, and he was probably 35 years old when he did it. That being said, Brad Freeman was a freak of an athlete. No, he absolutely was. And you know we have another Mississippi State tie, former official. Remember Jack Vaughn? Jack Vaughn worked three Super Bowls as an NFL official. Actually donated his Super Bowl rings to Mississippi State, I believe. I think so. Yeah, Jack Vaughn. I saw a picture of Jack Vaughn refereeing the fog game the Giants was no it was the Bears and the Eagles back in like the late 1980s remember that game at Soldier Field oh yeah anyway all right good times with Brad and we'll come back and we'll talk more about uh, Mississippi State and LSU and once again that conversation with Brad Freeman brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage Country Pleasing made right here in the state of Mississippi you can't go wrong if you're coming to the ballpark this weekend they serve it at the games at Duty Noble or if you're coming to the outfield, stop by Country Meat Packers or order it online at countrypleasing.com. Back with a final word, you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Final segment here. Good conversations with Tracy Job and Brad Freeman. Tracy Job's pitched at Mississippi State in the late 80s and 1990. And then Brad Freeman, you just talked to Brad. You know, I've always been intrigued by guys that officiate in NFL football because I just think it would be just so hard. If, as a back judge, seeing the wide receivers, whether you call pass interference, what do you do? And you know that Fox and CBS and NBC now, they have cameras all over and they can see anything. Man, those guys just have to be good. I wouldn't do that job for anything. So let me ask you this. If you could be an umpire, a basketball official, or a football official, which one do you think you could pull off the easiest? I would be a women's basketball official in the NCAA. Because there are no standards. There are no standards whatsoever. I can just roll in every night. I don't have to watch tape, and I can just be absolutely atrocious and embarrassing to the sport, and I know I could probably referee the Final Four. Was that too much of me – throwing a little shade at women's basketball officiating? No, I don't even think that's an opinion. I mean, it's, it's a fact. fact. Yes. So, yeah. Um, man, I, could, I, t- I couldn't imagine. I could not imagine with the speed of the NFL, man, just uh, of what Brad goes through each and every week. But has a lot of fun doing it. Does a great job with the parks in Oxford. And uh, everybody always talks about the, the fine quality parks. We're going to have those in Startwell in the short term very quickly. 
But, man, they have set the standard up there, and Brad's one of the major reasons why in Oxford. Okay, all right, so now I know we'll have our Tracks Plus deep dig on Thursday. Well, we'll come back and kind of get into the numbers. But now you get into that rivalry week we talk about in football all the time. This is rivalry week when it comes to college baseball, Mississippi State and LSU. What's your biggest memory, Mississippi State-LSU game? Man, there's so many. I mean, I remember, and of course it always – The Stratton-Galsman deal has to be up there. Stratton-Galsman was was simply outstanding, being there that night when they struck out all those guys. Um, I remember so many of these negative moments. Of course, Lyle Mouton hitting the home run Mm -hmm. down in the Superdome. I think of Armando Rios – Climbing the wall in the outfield here at Duty Noble and robbing a home run one day in a big, big game. I think of Super Bulldog weekend. Was it 1987? Was that the, really the first or 88 when we had the first really, really big crowd and everybody was like, oh, my goodness, we can put a ton of people in this place. Yeah, there's just so many big memories of. You know, the Cohen home run off Ben McDonald in a tight game. That 85 game here that was played on ESPN back when being on TV was a novelty. So if you wanted footage of Thunder and Lightning, that game is what most people have because it was one of the rare times that they were actually televised. And I'll tell you another one. Brian Leninfa at the old Alex Box hitting one over the Intimidator side in right field. They had that sign out in right field. It had all the national championships on it. Oh, yeah. And of course, you had Nicholson, which was behind right field, and he hit that sucker across Nicholson. Uh, man, that was, you know, you start talking about our ballpark in the old days when you and I started coming here, Charlie, about the wooden bleachers and just the kind of the aura of the, the old style park. And then we had the new park in 87, but you used to go down to Alex box. And when you would broadcast a ball game, you were actually sitting out in the crowd and across the aisle from you was a fan. And it was just, it was hot. It was always just so hot and muggy down there. But, uh, yeah, a lot of great memories about that series. I should have asked Brad Freeman. He hit one of the – just a monster home run in the SEC tournament. I think that was against LSU. Got a hanging curveball. Just murdered it. I should have asked him about that. But there's been a lot. I remember Todd Walker, who we talked to. I remember he just, you know, murdered one and on the post game. Coach Polk, as Coach Polk can always do. Yeah, I mean, he just got up in the jet stream. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> – and, of course, we'll talk about that big series on Thursday with our Tracks Plus Deep Dig. Tracks Plus, four locations, three Mississippi. You've got the, the original location in Hickory on I-20 between Startwell and Columbus, then Summit, Mississippi, and then Alexandria, Louisiana. Daniel Bounds, Fred Fulton over in Columbus. Ken Crosby down in Hickory. Gresh Howell down in Summit, Mississippi. And Hoop Weems in Alexandria, Louisiana for all that great equipment. Barco for the Forester, the Denny Seamoff mulching heads to go along with that and you got the Saney excavators and Massey Ferguson at the Summit Hickory and Alexandria Louisiana so go online to tracksplus.com if you're in the market for any heavy forestry machinery or dirt moving equipment and our good friends at Tracks Plus. Charlie we'll be back on uh, Thursday which will be tomorrow we'll do our Tracks Plus deep dig then Sunday coffee on Sunday. Hey looking forward to it should be a great weekend. No, I'm excited. Should have some good weather. You and I have the game Saturday and Sunday. Yep. Bring in the pros on Friday, but I'm looking forward to it. Will they be here or they're in their, in their basements? You know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer either. No, I don't even know who it is. 
Do we know who it is yet? I have not seen. Okay. All right. Once again, thanks to our great sponsors, Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. Our good friends at Country Pleasing Country Meat Packers. Heartland Catfish. And once again, you can get that great Heartland Catfish at Southern Hands. Homestyle Cooking in the Memphis area. Our good friends at Country Pleasing. Tracks Plus. Sartwell, Mississippi's College Town. And once again, our good friends at Bank First. For all your lending needs, go to bankfirstfs.com. For Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.